From the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here's your host, Rocky LaFleur. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Also starring Josh Webb, Jake LaTondras, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. Right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast of Rocky LaFleur in the Ducks House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me from West Point, the Yacht himself. Yacht, hey! Come come on I, with it. I got to know what happened with the phone bill. What did they decide? Well, after three days of determining that I got a new girlfriend from South Alabama. <laughs> they said they were going to help me out a little bit. They didn't help. They helped me out enough, but they didn't help me out all the way. They for three days. He called me. I was on the way down to Alabama. He said, "Man, uh, he said we got this one number, and uh, he said it's got all your minutes on there." I said, "Yeah." He said, "You got your new girlfriend?" I said, "Yeah, I do." He's like, "Yeah, we catch that a lot of times." He said, "People don't know." And then they get to talking to a little girl, or a girl get talking to a little guy, and next thing you know, the bill run up. And uh, I said, well, I sure appreciate it if you help me out there. You know, he said, we're going to help you out. We got you fixed up. But I didn't have to pay the 1057 but I had to pay the 607 So uh, that's, that's, that's today about, yeah. Yeah, yeah, about a month and a half on the rent from the trailer hood. But, you know, my girl said it's worth it. My girl said it's worth all that talking. <laughs> <laughs> she said she's worth a thousand. What she said, <laughs> I, said I said you're right. I just you know I just I just don't want to pay it. <laughs> so, yeah. I paid it. Yeah, I paid them full. I paid them full. So I was blessed to have you, it. You usually stay. Usually stay pretty calm about things. Gee, well, I try to. Yeah. See, that, see, that's that's where I'd get frustrated with the whole deal. I I, yeah. I talked to your guy. He said everything was good to go. Come on now, you. Yeah, I, I don't I mean know. to use your line. You know, that that man might not be working there no more. I, I don't know. I just I don't stay calm all the time. I can tell you that right now. You you ask the girl about that. Usually I calm down. I don't ever rant it to her. You know, rant to her about something. And uh. Anyway, she kind of calmed me down. That's why I don't ever get on social media when I'm uh, emotionally tied to something, you know, because you end up ranting. I did it one time, and I didn't like it, so I just kind of backed off of it. But uh, I try to stay calm. But you give me about 30 minutes or so, an hour, I kind of be like, uh, as my girl says, you just kind of dumbfounded about things. You just forget. <laughs> you know, you're like, a, you know, door. what was that door on the uh, on that fish movie? Finding Nemo? You remember the oh, little yeah. blue fish? They would, they would they would forget, you know, every fifteen seconds. That's kinda of like me. I just kinda of forget things. But But that's a better way to live it. though. Yeah, it is until you really need you're not supposed to forget something. You got to remember I run a I say I run it. I help 
run the power company here in West Point. You know, this <laughs> is not good when somebody says, power's out, and you drive right by the house going to the store. <laughs> you forgot the power was out. <laughs> but you think about it. Think about this. I, I know some some older, bitter people just in my in my family. Right. That man, they they die and live out the last years of their life very lonely. Yeah. Now, I'm, people that have built up bitterness for a while towards others or toward this and that, where they just can't let things go like you're talking about. They live right. a lonely, lonely life. Yep. And it, man, I'm telling you, it's a lot of people that, that hold in bitterness. And I hold in some things. You know, I got a few neighbors, you know, that I hold I, I hold bitterness on. But that's mainly because, I, you know, they, they continuously talk about me. So it makes it hard, you know, because you know how people are going to tell when they hear something. You know, it makes it hard when your neighbor... You know, still tell you you ain't worth nothing. You ain't ever gonna be nothing. You you know, you know, and then you see them all the time. So I hold bitterness towards something like that. But like, if somebody says, "Man, I'm sorry," or if I tell them I'm sorry and they accept my apology, I'm over it. I'll move on. You know, to the next time. I'm not. It just you use a lot of energy, man, when you hate on people. It, it, like I said, the Bible says. I think it was me and my girl was reading the Bible last night uh, over the over the phone. I think it was James, James chapter two. Might look at up James Corinthians. You know, it was telling you how to know James chapter two. I'm sorry, that's that's controlling your tongue. I think it's Corinth. I think we're in First Corinthians thirteen somewhere there. You have to Google it. But anyway, it tells you how you're supposed to love. And you're supposed to just love, man. Love don't have bitterness. It don't envy. It don't have a foul tongue. You know, stuff like that. So uh, don't quote me directly on that Bible. You have to go look it up. Go look up a Corinthians. Uh, I believe it's Paul that wrote it. That says uh, shows you what love is. So. Uh, we read that last night, and I, you know, I've already forgot <laughs> most of it. So I had to I get, I, I can read for an hour, but uh, I only get about two minutes of uh, learning out of it. That's, that's the way my mindset works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you, uh, you. I'm trying to imagine David Ellis, the yacht yacht, trying to read. I can oh. see you sitting down to read, and you look out the window and see a. Squirrel. Uh, oh, squirrel. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's hard. I got, I got it. I'm, I can't even look at the comments on my live feeds anymore. Because if I'm trying to talk to explain something, I look at somebody and they say, hey, man, what about that boat? And I'll be like, talking about fishing. And then I forgot all about it. You know, I just, I don't even know, man. I feel stupid. I mean, it makes me feel stupid when I do that. And they're like, you're so random. You just so, you just get off on anything. You're just rant. I'm not ranting, but you're just so random about Whatever. I'm like, yeah, that's me, you know. But as long as people laugh a little bit, you know, I don't mind being the, the joke, you know. But as long as we're having a good time about it. But I will tell you, I tell you, yesterday I got turned up a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about, uh, uh, you got time to talk about my job a little bit? You got a little yeah. time to talk about the job? Oh, no, we got a while. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I got turned up a little bit. Yesterday, I was sitting on the phone, and usually during my lunch hour, you know, uh, my girl had her lunch hour, too. We'll just kind of talk during lunch. And I sit out of my truck, and uh, and just with the AC running, and just sit there and talk, you know, behind nobody bothering me. And uh, I'm just sitting there, and all of a sudden, I see a cop car pull up, and then I see another cop car pull up, and I see another cop car, and then I see people's hands in the air, and, and I see the ladies that work there, and they're outside. I'm like, well, it can't be much. I said, they must have pulled over somebody. He's got some dope or 
a warrant or something. Well, come to find out, this guy had done called down here wanting to know something about some gas, and we don't even fool with the gas. And he got to cussing over the phone because the ladies were trying to explain to him we don't have nothing to do with that. So he cussed on the phone, so they just hung up on him, you know, because we don't have to listen to that. Regardless of what the city tells us we got to put up with, we are our own people. I ain't going to take a cussing from nobody. I ain't taking no whooping from nobody because our job says we can't fight back or we can't talk back. You know, I'm not worried about that. I'm our own man. So I see the ladies out there. We'll come to find out this dude got mad because the ladies hung the phone up on him because he was cursing. He comes down here and wants to be a man, stands up to these women in the front up here. Of course, I'm sitting out here in a truck. I didn't even know what was going on. And uh, they called the law. But he's trying to be a big old bad man, going to come down here and cuss out two ladies down here in the, in the front office because they hung up on him. You know, and, I, and, and me and my buddy, Darrell, my partner that works with me, which he's off this week because he's got walking pneumonia. But we always, we're never around when something goes on like that. Like, we're never around. And we always say that the Lord puts us in positions that, you know, to help people are not be in a certain situation. You know, and I just think with our job, you know, if I'd have been in there, I probably would have knocked that fool's hat off his head. You know what I mean? You come in there and want custom lady. That's probably, and I believe the Lord had me sitting in that parking lot talking to my girl, you know, to uh, keep me out of that situation. Because, I, I mean, you know, and I ain't going to take no whooping. I got a pocket knife. You know, I will cut his toenails for him if I had to get, if he knocked me on the ground. But, I mean, it just amazes me that people that want to be bad, you know, we got this policy like we ain't supposed to talk back, you know, to nobody, and we can't fight nobody, and, you know, if they jump on us with it. I told the mayor, I said, man, I'm my own man. I ain't taking no whooping just because you said I can't fight. <laughs> Shoot five people, I'm going to whoop you too. <laughs> I had a man, boy, I had a, I was, I mean, one time I was, uh, I, of course, we go out and work by ourselves all the time, you know. I was fixing a light on the highway, or not on the highway, but on the side road. It was kind of, it's a narrow road. I had the outriggers down to hold the truck up. And I was kind of, you had to run off the road to get around. This dude comes flying by, man. I just went, slow down. Well, he turned around and come back, and him and his wife. And uh, really, I really wasn't even worried about him. He didn't look like he, he was even fightable, you know. He, but uh, his, his wife, now, she looked like she throw hands. And uh, I just remember they wanted to jump, man. This ain't been six months ago. And I uh, wanted to jump me. was going to whoop me and beat me down and told me all kind of bad names, you know. And I just reached back there and grabbed the axe off the back of the truck. And he's like, what you going to do with that? I said, I ain't, I said, I ain't taking no whoop and I can carry that, you know. He's like, you can't do it. He went cold on me. Now, this man come by, like, to run over me. I hollered at him because it did scare me a little bit. But, you know, I mean, I just, he needed to slow down. And then he comes back, takes the effort to come back to get out of his vehicle. Him and his wife want to jump on me because I hollered at him to slow down. And then go down there to the office to turn me in for telling them I wasn't going to take no whooping now. For telling them I wasn't going to take no whooping. That's the society we live in. They can handle putting it out, but they can't, they can't, they can't handle it when it gets brought back. Like I told the mayor now, you can fire me, you can whatever, but we're going to have a lawsuit because I ain't taking no whooping for the city of West Point. I didn't give you enough blood and effort already. I need five more years. But I'd be dang if two people finna jump on me after they almost run over me. If anything, we need to be we need to be calling law, getting them taken to jail for uh, what do you call it? Where you don't drive right, reckless reckless driving. Yeah, these, these companies nowadays, that's the way it works. We if somebody cusses us, we're supposed to walk off. And normally I do, but you know, uh, when they follow me right behind me, real close, because a lot of people like to be right up in your ear. I'll get to walking real away real fast. And they'll get it, and I'll just stop when they shove me. Whoo, we both going in the ditch. We tell them we both trip. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we got all kinds of things we do around here. But, man, these folks bad around here. That's what I tell them. I said, you can't. These folks got to realize they ain't bad. They want to be bad. Social media has made people bad. I guarantee you this. Social media bad on, you know, people bad on social media. I'll do this, I'll do that. If Facebook would make it mandatory where you had to have your house address on your profile picture, I guarantee these folks would talk half the mess they talk on social media nowadays. They wouldn't. Because I come to your house. <laughs> hey, buddy. How you doing? Did you see the... Did you see the barking dogs with the with the fence that was opening up? <laughs> Once that fence opened up, they uh they took off running opposite ways. You seen that? <laughs> oh, I tell you, I said most time it's it's one holding back, one hauling home, and the other saying, "Don't turn me loose." <laughs> <laughs> that's all it is—a bunch of barking old dogs. And that's why I said my social media try to be as positive as I can. We we had so much aggravation stuff, but you know I could have got on social media yesterday and ranted about. How this town is ought to be ashamed for how they act. You know what I mean? But I don't. I just sit there and I take it all in. And then later on, you know what? I'll probably tell that story, but I'll tell it in a fun, humorous way so that you get the point across, but you also shame them a little bit. You know what I mean? But you don't just rant to where they call in the mayor's office. This guy made a video about me being a dummy. You know? Well, you are a dummy. You know? But, you know, just make it fun. You, you, my daddy, you shame me by, you know, he made me repeat my question sometimes. Ask me that question again. You know, and I'd be like, you know, whatever it was, he'd be like, now say it again. And then by the time you said it, by the third time, he'd be like, yeah, that was a dumb question. <laughs> you, know? so, you shame them in a good way, you know. But, mm. man, it's, it's, it's crazy. And that's basically what's been going on this week. We're cutting trees in the city of West Point. We have tree cutters come in, and we're cutting them back like it ain't ever been cut back before. These people are raising cane, man. They cut my trees. They cut my trees. Well, yeah, I, I got a question for you on, on that yeah. real quick. But coming up in just a minute, Brendan Hudson, Ramsey Russell, they sit down in Canada talking about the speck migration. Speckle-belly geese, where they come from, where they go to. They have a little conversation about limits. It's, it's one you want to stay around for. Y'all, I got to ask you this. Yeah. Here in Oxford, here in Oxford, right. I don't know what's going on between the city government and the city of Oxford utilities. They must not communicate with each other at all. They go around, <laughs> they want all this pretty green, green trees, green shrubs, uh, and then they plant them right up under light lines. Or utility lines, whether it be cable, electric, phone, whatever yeah. it may be, and they end up just having to destroy them to keep them off of the lines. Yeah, they cut, cut a flat it. top out of. They cut a flat top yeah. out of. Because you you end up with people, as we say, like in our government, we have uh, the people that know stuff, but they don't know anything. So they say, well, this is going to look good, but they don't ever look up. You know, they don't have to look, okay, well, in five years, this crepe myrtle or this Bradford pear trees or whatever you're going to have, they're going to be in these lines, and we're going to have to cut them, and they're going to look like crap. No, they're thinking about it right now and then later on down the road, which Oxford is going all to underground, from, from my understanding. They're trying to get everything downtown converted over to, to underground wire, but uh, uh, the main thing is, I mean, 
if you plant something and it's a shrubbery, five to six years, you're probably looking at something that's going to be in the telephone lines. Another two years, it's going to be, you know, above that and it's going to be cut. And it ain't going to look good. But in the next spring, in the next spring, it'll grow back out. It'll kind of look like it'll have a little more form to it. But everybody's about right now, right now, right now. And uh, like I said, we just, what I say is we always got a bunch of smart dummies. You let the electric department run the electric department. You let the uh, water department head run the water department. And uh, and so on, and but when you have these committees of people, and you got to remember now, people are voted in by a bunch of idiots. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a study out there that talks about seven percent of the United States believes that chocolate milk comes from brown cows. That's why we have electoral college <laughs> because we don't need no folks voting. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's, it's just there's a bunch of dummies out there. People get elected from a bunch of dummies. You know, we had people in our town get. Uh, a guy got voted in because he said he's going to lower electric uh, rates. Well, you know what the first thing on the agenda was when he got elected? We had to raise the rates due to TPA raising. Well, you look like a big dummy, but a bunch of dummies voted you in. You know I mean? Because they thought the election bill was going to be down. Well, it was. You know, he couldn't control that, but he run that campaign on that. It's a false narrative, and he won. You know, and I hate to jump on politics, but I will do local. But like I said, it just goes back to dummies. I mean, you have people out here that they just go to vote because the van picked them up. You know, mm-hmm. you know they get the ballot on the van. I've seen it. I mean, I work for this town. I know what goes on in this town. You know, people always say you just say that stuff. No, I've been here twenty. I've been working for this town twenty years. I know what goes on. But anyway, well, so you know, it's, it's kind of funny. You talk. You you say that, but I, I was friends with a guy of a local newspaper in the Delta. He was talking about this morning. They've been pushing, pushing, pushing to get some sewer work done in this little small town in the Delta. Well, they put it, they move it from one place to the the water and sewage budget. What do you think they do with the money? They give oh, themselves put, raises. Yeah, they give themselves a raise every time. They're gonna get a raise now. Like I said, if if, if this town, if, if our city government didn't get paid to do it. You're helping the city, but when you get a paycheck, I understand you got to go through. But you you applied for that job. You wanted to help the city when you when you run for city government. You know, if I run, I mean, I plan on running for mayor uh, the next go around. So, but I don't want to win. I just want to run my campaign on everything I know and what needs to be fixed, and then it'll get the town stirred up, and then I'm gonna withdraw. <laughs> I'm going to show where all their problems at. I'm going to tell them where all their problems So They won't let me tell it right now. They shut me down one time when I told the problems on, on the social media world, and uh, they didn't like it, so they shut me down. I told me I couldn't go live no more talking about the city. You know, said, that's fine. I don't have to go live. I can record it, post it later. <laughs> you big dummy. Man, I remember when West be Point, man, that was, a, that was a happening place. 20 oh, years man, ago, 25 years ago. Years ago. Yep. And now we got more traffic. We just ain't got nothing here but a bunch of convenience stores and uh, fast food restaurants, you know. But that ain't, I mean, we got Yokohama in, and hopefully they get that kicking and going good. You know, we just got to get the right people in there to to work, you know. And, <laughs> that's uh, going to turn around, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's going to turn around, man. We got a chicken plant coming, man. Shoot. I'm ready for the chicken plant, too, though. 
I don't really get a deal on the side. Throw it over the fence kind of deal. You know, throw 20 through the, throw a 20 through the gate, but throw, throw the box over the fence. <laughs> I, you know something we hadn't talked about, man, Oh, Harlow. How, how's football coming along? Okay, yeah, Harlow. He's wide open. Like I said, he got a uh, – he's seventh grader, so he don't get to play a whole lot. Uh, you know, with seventh grade, they got the eighth and ninth graders that play most of the time. But he's like that third-string quarterback, that second-string wide receiver. But uh, most time he gets to come in as quarterback. The other two quarterbacks done got knocked out of the game, so he said he don't want to play quarterback when that time comes. <laughs> he we was beating somebody so bad one time that they put him in at quarterback, and then we put all our seventh graders in, but the other team didn't take their ninth graders out. The first, the first play he had was a pass, and uh, shoot, they hit him blindsided, and uh, he said he didn't want more of that. And uh, I said, I said, why, why didn't he throw the ball? You know, you got to be quick. So anyway, but I will tell you now, I've got some great people through the social media that's helped me uh, talk to Harlow. You know, I got first baseman Tanner uh, Tanner Allen uh, for the Mississippi State baseball. So he helps Harlow talking back and forth. And I also have uh, Devlin Hodges, which is out of Alabama. Uh, he was a, I mean, he's from Alabama, but he played for Stanford yeah. University, and he got What's drafted. Pittsburgh? That's right. He's been a fan. Him and his dad's been a supporter of y'all, y'all this whole time. And then he gets drafted this year, and then Ben Roethlisberger gets hurt. So he's like second-string quarterback now. and uh, Or he may be first-string. I ain't had no TV, so I just got my TV money. So I ain't had a chance to watch anything. But, I mean, he, but he told me he, said, he ain't looking too good over right now at Pittsburgh. But, I mean, so I'm sending video to Devlin, you know, and uh, texting back and forth, stuff like that. And he's like, tell Harlow moves speed. You know, he's telling him things. You know, that means a lot. I can tell him all day long, but when you got somebody that's, you know, in, in his eyes, in my eyes too, this professional player and, and, and a great player, you know, you got people telling him what to do, you know, he listens more. So, uh, so ho- hopefully that's going good. My kid likes that. So uh, now I just need to find me a prof- like a professional basketball player to help him come basketball season. Because <laughs> <laughs> in the academy, <clears throat> man, you got to play all sports. You, you got to run you track, baseball, basketball, football. You got to you do it all. You got to because you need enough people for the team, you know. So you you stay going. It ain't like public school. You pick out one sport you like, and you got enough for the whole team. And every every sport, you don't have to play every sport. Well, this is like, man, we need to put the team. We need the number to fill the, at least fill the seat. And uh, you know, I think they just want you to. So the parents had to come in and pay that five seven dollar entry fee every time. I told them just put it on us. Just put all the entry fees and put it in a tuition. That way, we show up. We just got to pass. And uh. Especially since my ex mother law pays the witch. <laughs> oh, man. I remember I'm seventh grade, man. We had 12 people on our junior high football team. 12 people. Ooh. And one of them was out with broke collarbones. We had 11 in the final game. Yeah. We line up against the champions. And here I am playing, I was playing right guard. Cause I always made the joke about right guard deodorant. I was a right yeah. guard. Anyway, then I look across the line from me. This is junior high, man. I'm in seventh grade. I look across the line, guy across from me, defensive lineman. This sucker is literally, he's in ninth grade. He's got a mustache. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you ready. Oh, man. Man, he came busting through that line all night long, literally put me on the ground and get in the backfield. Now, never forget the start of the fourth quarter. 
And the, the coach said, Rocky, you let him through that line one more time, we'll put you in the backfield running the ball. <laughs> he's gonna hit you this back. He's gonna hit you back there too. <laughs> he outweighed me twice, man. Come on, right, anything right. I could do, and I well, we get beat forty-two to nothing. Refs, they started speeding the clock up. Right. I mean, uh, I started top. tackling yeah. the fourth quarter. I'm tackling by the ankles, man. There's no right, blocking right. going on. Yeah I'm, doing, yeah, I'm poking him in the eye. I'm hitting him in the nuts. Whatever I could do to slow him down, because I'm not getting in right. the backfield running the ball and getting killed. <laughs> so I know what you mean when you talk about academy ball, man. You yeah. you, you you just sometimes you got to be a warm body on a team. Yeah, that's all it is. Sports. That's that's it. That's it. He likes basketball now. He'll, he'll fit in good basketball. He's a good three point shooter, and. uh you know, stuff like that. So he'll be good at that. But like, he's just little. He's lanky. But uh, he'll be fine. Baseball, roll back around. He'll be fine with that. You know, but football, man, you, you know, it's a, it's almost like a big man sport unless you, unless you, uh, you know, you wide receiver or something like that. But uh, it looks like they're going to, you know, it's looking like quarterback position in the next couple of years coming. And uh, he'll be fine. You know, it's just when you got ninth graders, you know, in public school, you got a seventh grade team, an eighth grade team, and a ninth grade team. Or at least our public school does. So, oh, yeah. you know, there it's, uh, you know, a seventh grader who just started lifting weights and getting used to it. You, you, you're getting tackled by people that's been lifting weights. They're, in their, they're into their third year, you know. So it's, it's, it's being hit at a lot different level, you know. Like you said, some of those ninth graders can go on and play high school ball now. And uh, when you take those licks, you know, it, it makes you want to fear it a little bit. But he's been tough. He got him a haircut. The day I told me he had to have a haircut, uh, he got him a haircut this morning. And uh, or last night, one of them, and uh, I said, you got to have a haircut for game day. And uh, I said, it get, make you get a little more speed on you. <laughs> so he's, he, 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 sent me a, he sent me a snap this morning. He's like, I'm a haircut. I'm like, good, you're going to need to run. We're playing Carroll Academy. Them, thing, them boys are some killers. You hear me? Carroll Academy. If your kid, if your kid goes to a private school and you want to be a football player, you take him to Carroll Academy. Them dudes is cornbread, country, redneck, hillbilly hick from the countryside, baby. And I'd be proud to go there if I lived there. But when you got a player, whoa, man. I believe the coaches, I believe at the halftime, I believe the coaches got uniforms on. I believe they swap out and you just, them kids are <laughs> over there. You don't know the difference. I believe the kids be coaching over there, man. Man. Uh, I remember when we played them a couple of years ago. Uh, they hadn't had nobody to score on them the whole year. And we played him and threw it like an 80-yard touchdown pass. DB got beat, and he running in for a touchdown. And I remember the coach coming over there screaming at our side of the stadium, told him we didn't deserve to uh, yell for our own kids. He got that mad. Like, it was a, it was almost a brawl. I said, man. I, I mean, and I was on the sideline, you know. And, I, of course, I'm filming my kids' stuff, you know, because he's part of all that. And, uh, I mean, just acting a fool, you know. And after the game, it's like, I mean, they just – they kill us. When it's game time, it's kill us. You know? I mean, the kids are hauling at you like, hey, hey, Mr. Uh. Like, huh? I mean, I want to that kid had that boy. Pee-wee <laughs> <laughs> football. I think, yeah, it's pee-wee football. I think they were popping up natural lights after the game. They're so big. <laughs> <laughs> Good game, boy. Uh, but I remember, man, he told me, he said, we didn't deserve to be cheering for our kids. Well, I mean, we we just beat y'all on an 80-yard pass. I mean, that's about the highlight we're going to have all year. We're we, we, we going to cheer, buddy. You know, but 
it got rough, man. They tough over there. I don't know none of them. If you, if you know anybody from Carroll Academy or any of them kids, I mean, they great kids. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they, but I'm serious. Like, when it comes to Carroll Academy, I mean, you need to be on the game. You need to be on the game, you know. Pick or stick, whatever you need to play the football game with, you, you got to be on the game because they come and they're going to kill us tonight, Rocky. They're going to kill us. They're going to kill us. I'm going to go over to begin with a little. I just need my kid to have no broke arms, you know, just pushing down. He'll fall. Don't worry about it, man. He'll fall. <laughs> There's a I ton mean, of people that's listening to this podcast that's very familiar with Carol Academy. <laughs> <laughs> they rough, and I ain't talking about them in a bad way because I'm redneck and hillbilly and country and all that, but I'm straight up. I mean, seriously, if you want your kid to be a football player in a private school and be tough, you take well, a Carol Academy. Good luck to y'all tonight. hope y'all do well. All right, well, I sure appreciate it, man. We're going to have a good time. If, if nothing else, we're going to eat a cheeseburger, some nachos at the game tonight. <laughs> Might be the highlight. Uh, oh, man, I have enjoyed it. Y'all, That's right, until man. next week, I, I really enjoyed it, bud, but we need to get to that interview with Ramsey and Brennan right now. Hey, this is Ramsey Russell, GetDucks.com. It is September 17th. And I am in God's country. I am in Alberta. I am in Alberta with Brennan Hudson of Alberta Waterfowl Outfitters. And we're having a great time. You know, I get kind of nostalgic coming to Alberta because it's where GetDucks.com started. It's where my whole journey traveling around the world started. It was the first real good hunt out of two that, that I had ever taken and I became enamored with this part of the world. Very fortunate to have met Brennan a few years ago. He he is passionate about something near and dear to my heart, which is speckle bellies. And this part of Alberta has got the stranglehold on migratory speckle bellies. And that's what we'd like to talk about today. What's up, Brennan? What's going on? How are you? I'm good. Uh you know, we've been here a couple of times. There's a freaking happy house full of clients right now. <laughs> but the geese had not really been behaving. I mean, uh, no. I know the full moon's got them a little messed up. But uh, what is it? I mean, uh, what is it about this part of the world that so many of the white front population passes through? You know, it's this is the hardest spec country. This is the funnel. You got uh, we're you know in Alberta, where you know the green fields are coming up from northwest, uh, basically northwest to southeast, and you have a a funnel from the northeast to, or I'm sorry, northwest to southeast, and that funnel it it connects with green fields to the prairie, and and these birds just they they come through here in stage, and this is it. This is the place. This is the place where, this is the speck of belly country. Um, it is a it's a place that dear to my heart. Uh, you know, I, I got this place a few years ago and it just happened to be spec country in which, you know, I, I come from the coast and that's my, that's, that's where my heart came from was, you know, Katy Prairie off, you know, Winnie, Texas hunting specs back when they used to migrate there. Now we're, now we're here and we're, you know, catching them, you know, September, October and getting an early season, early start on the season and sharing experience with clients. And this is, this is where you come to shoot specs right here. I found myself wondering this morning that that roof got up kind of at one time, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. We were out there hunting in a harvested pea field, 
and a few flocks were coming in, and we were still sorting decoys, kind of getting tuned in to the geese. And all of a sudden, this swarm of specks got up from a roost and started flying over. And as far as the human eye could see in any direction, there were speckle belly geese flying in all directions. Uh, and and I'd, I'd say that from the lowest flocks to the top must have been 100 yards deep. Just, just, just it's like you died and gone to speckle belly heaven. And I got to wondering, actually, to myself this morning, what it was like here 150 or maybe 200 years ago, because a lot of Canada, certainly this part of Canada, used to be historic short grass prairie. Uh, I just imagine billions of buffalo tromping across, you know, and the Sioux Indians hunting them, you know, kind of like in Dances with Wolves. That's what this native habitat is. And this actual corner we're sitting in uh, is still got the strongest amount down some of the low areas that can't be cultivated. It's got the largest amount of native prairie grass type community there is. But the rest, it's so easy to convert short grass prairie into agriculture that as far as the human eye can see is wheat, and peas, and oats, and it's just millions upon millions of acres more habitat for these birds to feed on now than it probably would have been historically. Uh, I read somewhere that 80% of the continental population of speckle bellies come through a bottleneck that's probably three or 400 miles wide, and we're right here. Brennan, you were telling me yesterday, we were talking about some of the band recoveries. I watched your Instagram. Yep. And, uh, and, and boy, this time of year, every day, you're, you're, you know, you're showing off some, some pretty fun hunts. And y'all cover a lot, y'all, y'all recover a lot of speckle belly bands here. Where, where are those we bands do. coming we from? We do. Um, you know, we get a lot of bands from none of it. Um, and those geese, if you look at a map and, you know, we're away, which, which we're would not, be, which would east be, of here. It'd be northeast. Northeast. So, you take northeast and that funnel, and and from none of it, you're like, dang, why ain't they just going straight south and hitting the grain fields and you know Manitoba or eastern Saskatchewan and going straight down? And then you've got bands that are coming from Alaska. Well, they're funneling down like a Y into this area, and then you, okay, well, why would the none of it birds come southwest? Well, those might be the birds that are going to California, the right. rice fields, and the same thing for for the Alaska birds. It's like a fire hose. If you took a fire hose and ran it through Canada, right through this area, that's the best way to describe it. That fire hose goes all the way to Montana border, and it's like turning on a fire hose. And at, right out the right out the the faucet or whatever, it runs straight. And when it at the end of that at the end of the fire hose, when you kick it on, that thing's gonna be going wild. And that's what it's doing. And those geese, when they get to that Montana border, they're going. That's they're just exploding and going a thousand different ways. You know, and whether it be Arkansas, Louisiana. Uh, you know, uh, West Texas. The Central now. Flyway Central is Flyway. absolutely it's, home to them. It's, it is. And, and there's a surprising amount of speckled bellies in the, the Pacific Flyway. I've heard parts of, uh, what, California's got a 10-bird limit now? Oh, yeah. And, you know, they had a, um, a, a speck that they were tracking a while back in Texas, and it went from Texas to Louisiana, across Oklahoma, back through Kansas, North Dakota, and come right through this funnel, and then cut all the way up into northwest Alaska, and then it died. They lost the, they lost the, the uh, deal. So probably but, died of exhaustion. Right, right. So, <laughs> you know, and it, and it did that in like five days, four days. So it was a lot of stress on them. But this is the funnel. Speaking of speckled bellies, I heard one time. 
And it's a very credible source. I was hunting down with uh, Bill Daniels in that part of the world, oh, yeah. uh, down down southwest Louisiana, and, and one of the camp members down there was telling me that historically, uh, an overwhelming amount of the Mississippi flyway speckle bellies overwintered around Lake Charles, oh, yeah. and he was he was then telling me that the percent now is 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 less than half. That, that number is a relative percent. But if you look at the gross number estimate, the number hadn't changed. It, no, it's strictly the percent. There's a lot of things there that you could look at. Um, rice, your rice country. It's, you know, I'm from southeast Texas. You take out, take Highway 90 and go, you know, go through, you know, Nome, China. I was actually telling my grandpa this a while back. He was on a ride. We were going to taxidermist and cut through there in Winnie. And you see all these fields there with old levee systems and they're fallow fields now. Fallow fields. The, the amount of, you know, look at Katy Prairie. It used to be all rice. Now it's subdivisions. Same thing in, you know, in southwest Louisiana. You're losing, you're losing rice. Or you're losing food. You know, you're a lot more pressure these days. Pressure. Habitat change. Habitat change and, and, and pressure. You know, pressure is pushing birds, you know, in certain areas as well. There's a lot, there's a million different factors, you know. You look at a lot of the the, uh, the weather now, you know, you look at a big front, it comes and goes southwest to, I'm, I'm sorry, northwest to southeast. If you look at a front, that's how they all come down. They used to come, from my knowledge, back 15 years ago, used to come from Saskatchewan straight down. And you used to have a lot more snow cover. So there's a lot of different there's a lot of different variables there you're looking at with you know migrating geese whether it be specks or any other species. Well, I know I know from hunting in Arkansas, you know we get quite a few specks in the bean fields and leftover rice in Mississippi, but not near what they get up in the uh, around Stuttgart and on up through northeast Arkansas. They get a whole lot of specks yeah. up in that part of the world. But I was I was shocked, and I know this wasn't historic, but. Somewhere in social media, it's, it's become more popular. I've started, I've started seeing more and more uh, folks posting pictures that they'd hunted speckled bellies as far north as southern Illinois. And, and that's, you know, is the population increasing? Are the feds letting, uh, you remember, I remember back in, the, back in the old days, in the late 90s, the limit on snow geese was five. And by the time they realized they had a problem, it was kind of too late. I kind right. of sort of hope that'd be the case with speckled bellies. Maybe the population is building up. Maybe the population, seeing those birds further north, up in northeast Arkansas and parts of Missouri all winter, maybe that's a sign that the population's starting to just kind of build up, I hope. You know, it's hard to say. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, uh, speaking of bands, what do you, uh, I love hearing how, how uh, people, let alone outfitters, you know, you got, you got a team of six, and I know you hold a few weeks back for, for clients to come in with mixed groups, you know, two here and three there, and you put them in a blind together. What do you do when one of the, when, the, when, when old preacher brings in one of those, one of those orange legs with a big shiny band on it? What happens then? You know, if nobody's claiming that bird when we shoot it, you know, or whoever shoots it, if nobody's claiming he comes in, it gets thrown in a hat at the end of the hunt, and you know, you got six shells in there, one may be off color, maybe one may have a feather inside of it, and you, how you just, Whoever wants to pick first type deal, whoever gets it, gets it. That's the only fair way to do it, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's you not, ever have anybody get their feelings hurt or? Uh, yeah, here, you know, here Get a little there, whiny or pouty. And there's been, there's been some times that, you know, the wrong person got it. Yeah. You know, you always, <laughs> you know, my, there was one time a guy got it and he shot a speck and it was pure black and I was all, I was real excited. It was, matter of fact, it was first speck band I'd ever seen. I've always wanted one. And uh, he got that bird and I was pumped up for him and, 
man, you're going to get it mounted, you're going to get it mounted. No, it'll wind up in my attic with, you know, my wife will wind up putting it up in the attic. And then, you know, a year later, hey, what, what happened? where was that band from? I don't know. Where's it at? Well, heck, I don't know. I probably lost it. And it's like, dadgum, there's 10 other people in that group that appreciate it, you know. And it's not all about that. But, you know, it's something It's like shooting a big deer. It's not all about shooting a 200-inch deer go out and enjoy it but when it when you do do it it's it's nice to have it's a needle in a haystacks to some people and and i don't know i just like the information and it's just something something to you know like a little prize yeah so i hate to say i don't mean it like that but like a prize but it's it's just a i don't know you know it's jewelry i guess Do, do you see uh do you see in this part of the world during your season do you see the speckled bellies using a different habitat or acting differently than some of the other geese do? Is there, is there a special formula for finding them? Is there something different about not, them? Not really here. They stage a lot different. I hunt I hunt specks up here, you know, and I'm not – there's a lot of outfitters. There's a lot of guys that are, you know, that know specks. You know, I'm not, I'm not a guru at it, but I enjoy hunting them. And with saying that, you know, I hunt – specs here a lot different than i would in southeast texas i wouldn't be running these big spreads i'd call totally different down there i've always what's worked for me that's you know something works for some people and don't you know you're hunting you know you got three or four specs come in you pick out one and you talk to that bird you know what he would do you'd do it he'd, he'd yoda once you yoda once he hit a double note you hit a double note and if he pauses for a minute get him another hit him another one you know up here you can hunt to an extent i mean it, people think you come into canada and birds are in every field and you know and you and you know you it's so easy but this morning obviously showed different you know it's not just coming to canada and birds are just coming to the decoys yeah you get some young birds and they just they see a decoy and come in but the old birds that's been hunted for 10 15 years are still you know you're still hunting those birds and they're still smart mm-hmm. you know they were hunted not a year ago they were hunted what six seven months ago yeah well, maybe a little bit right. more than that you know, January, February. So I hunt them different. You know, I do hunt them different than Southeast Texas, but it's uh, you just got to try to figure out what works for you. You know. Mm-hmm. I know. I notice. Uh, I, I'm a two note, maybe three note caller. That's it. And, and and I pray when I call to him, he gonna he gonna answer back. <laughs> and if we get that little two note conversation going, he might get close enough. I can I can put him on the ground. Uh, like a lot, lot of other real, genuine spec hunters I know, uh, Bill Daniels, Redbone. Oh yeah. Uh, y'all, they're really good. Man, y'all speak the language. I mean, when I when when you pick up a a, a goose call and it becomes a game on, it is totally different. Well, than, than somebody like me blowing. What you, what what what? How did you, how did you fall into that? Just normally? Well, or? well here's it, and I thought my mom wanted to always kick me out of the house. I was eight, nine, ten of years course. old. You know, blowing calls. I get outside. You know, and you know, you talk about the, the Redbone guys and Bill Daniels and all, those guys are on a different level than I am. Now, saying that, I've had a lot of feedback from not them, but other you know other people. Hey, that you know, slow down on this and slow down on that, and you're going too fast and you're doing this. Let me tell you something. I'm not. I'm not a routine caller. I'm not a. I'm not the best. I, I. I just. I do what works for me. You know. I don't care what it sounds good to the human. You, you know. Your ear. I don't. I don't care how you can say what you want. But what I'm doing is I get out there. I may mess up on a note. I mess up every day. I blow a note. Mess up now. And y'all sit down there and and try to correct myself off of it. But you know. To you. 
you li- you go out and you you're scouting and you're listening to geese. You you see you know two thousand specks in the field and there is all types of racket. There's all types of racket. It's almost like a refuge feed on a duck call. You you get you get rolling real good and you do what works for you. You know different people hunt different and that's the good thing. The beauty about life is just everybody can be different and make themselves better to to do better in a situation. You know not to. Uh, not to want more, but to do better for yourself. And, and, and when you do that, that's just going to, you're going to learn as a hunter to be better for yourself. It's going to push you to that next level. And uh, that's just kind of what how I, I, how I do things. I just, I look, when birds come in, I'm watching them a thousand different ways, a thousand different, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different ideas that are in my mind. I'm watching one bird trying to figure out, and, you know, out of a 500 that's coming in, trying to pick out that one bird that I can talk to and turn them. And that's kind of it. Just it, I you're pretty darn bird. intense when those birds start working. You are you are game on. I mean, uh, and in between breaths, it's almost like you're you're talking to the blind or to the left coming in or doing this, and you're saying it in your inhale, and then you're back on the lung. You must have a heck of a set of lungs, Brendan. <laughs> what what's going what's going through your mind? I, I oh. just I got to wonder today because man, you were you were plowing on that call and uh, no geese were responding. What what's physically going through your mind when you've oh. got a hundred and fifty or specs sitting there buzzing around? What what is going through your mind? It's like being in a NASCAR you know NASCAR driving through you know trying to get through thirty different people. You don't know what to do. You're trying to think this. You're trying to think that and. Hope you know, one client don't don't oh, like face them. Man, it's 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 everything. Everybody stay down. Everybody be quiet. All right, on the left, on the right. All right, now I got to watch this bird. Oh, he, he he's not talking to me. Watch the flock. Okay, can I turn the whole flock? Can I talk to one bird and get him to commit? What do I need to do? What are they sliding off of? What are they lifting off of? You know, there's a a thousand different things, but it's all instinctual. It's to me. I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't like really be to be called read the birds. You read, read the, birds, the birds, and that's you know that's the difference between a killer and a hunter. You know, a lot of people bring that term to you know media and all this, and it's to me it's not a good one. And I've been I've been caught up in the moment with that, but you know it's as a hunter you learn to adapt, and you can't explain it right then and there. It's you just pick it up. Okay, I need to do this. Okay, that didn't work, but if I do this on this side, it'll make that into a different situation and if they they come in and they lift off this let's you know you saw this morning that we you know we moved the decoy spread what four or five times yeah and yes we got a little bit more wind and they weren't doing it perfect but we still we capitalized on the situation and was it a bad hunt no hunt's a bad hunt you know but we got out there we killed 64 geese and i was a little frustrated and, and that's but it's not about the number at that point it's hey to me it's i had to slow myself down you know well, that brings so, up a good point because i man it's, it's funny uh I've had this conversation with a lot of people, with outfitters, with 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 uh, magazine editors, with personalities, with, with everybody. I'm, I mean, it's like uh, numbers. Oh yeah, you know the num- the numbers game. It's like numbers I told, and limits. I told the editor of Outdoor Life. He and I were talking about this in a duck blind in Mexico, and I said, you know, I travel all over the world, and when I go into countries where there's no bag limit. There's not a numbers game. It, they, those guys in Netherlands, where we shoot speckle bellies, uh, uh, as well as gray lags and barnacles, or in Pakistan, or in Mongolia, or anywhere, Argentina, where there's not a numbers, a limit, a ceiling. A, a, yeah, you get know, some it, people's it, mind. It, their mindset is going out and enjoying the hunt. 
Well, let me say this. If you if you look at you, you saying that is, I think back, you know, let's say, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago, or hell, when I started waterfowl hunting was a nine, but I can remember being 14 and having a buddy that was 16 have a driver's permit and drive us down to the marsh. And two of us go out there, and, you know, you, we can legally kill 12 birds, and we kill five and had an opportunity to kill 25, and we left there super excited, ready to do it again, shooting five birds. And what happens is is people, you know, they get better, and they, 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 they learn how to hunt, and that five starts going away quick. It's six, okay? Well, now we got to get 10 people out there and shoot 40. And then they, the social media of, of everything is, is in people's minds. they got to see a pile. And you know, I want to I want to maximize every every little opportunity. And and if limits a hundred, I want to shoot a hundred. Well, think back on those times when it was fifteen, sixteen years ago when I was a kid. You know, say just say fourteen years old, driving my buddy had a driver's permit down the marsh, learning how to hunt. And uh, you know, going down there, just say you know your limits twelve birds, and you know there's two of us. We're we're learning how to hunt and whatnot, and. You know, we we leave there with five, six birds with the opportunity to shoot, you know, as many as you want. And, uh, you know, looking at that, I can't tell you how excited I was leaving the marsh with five, six birds, how how good of a time we had. And where I'm going with that is, is, you know, now, you know, as an outfitter, you know, I have to produce, you know, numbers and stuff like that. But people get too caught up in the numbers game of you know seeing they just i gotta have a picture of 100 i gotta have a picture of 150 but they don't that what happens is over time is they lose sight of why they do it when they're you know when you're like they're looking for a new high right right it's you know you you look back at what when you first started nobody just started killing hundreds you know nobody just went out every day and just hey this is easy you know if it was easy everybody be doing it so you know you look back then and remember why you did it remember why you fell in love with it and it goes back to you know i had some clients a couple years ago they come to oklahoma with me they shot 45 birds best hunter of their life and uh you know oh this is great this is best hunter of life thank you so much we're ready to come back next year next year they come and you know just say they shot 40 50 40 to 50 on average you know 40 a day and they come for three days and the next year they come for three days and they were shooting 70 to 80 and the and so then they come over oh, this is the best hunt of her life let's come back for that third year that third year they come back and they shoot 45 again and now that hunt is just okay it's not yeah oh this yeah it was an all right hunt but oh wait two two years ago that was the best hunt you ever had so where where's the people's mindset of two years ago this is the best hunt i ever had just because you get you, you know what i mean your hand gets a little farther than the cookie jar you can't you know what i mean you can't just keep doing that because I, it, it's, I see it all the time people want more some people want more and more and more and, and it's like you know this is a renewable resource we're dealing with it's it, it, you know it's a fragile resource or whatnot but it, it, it's it's and, and when did it start because you know i never remember my granddad or or, or my dad in that generation Talking about numbers, and and I see a few pictures of them holding up three or four ducks, or them holding up not math amount of birds. Like that's a whole camp laid it out in some big tableau. It was right. just a different mindset then, right? And I think you know, Rams. I think it was around 2015-16 when the social media started blowing up, and people started seeing you know the the hunters out there that were you know doing big stuff and and all that, and the trend of waterfowl hunting as well. And, you know, you talk about people wanting more, and that is that is something I, as a waterfowl hunter, I like to tell people, 
is if you if you always want more, you'll never get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because when you get that more, all you can think about get, is getting more and more and more. How about just stepping back and saying, hey, I just want to be better. Better for myself. Not be better for, to put an image out there as a waterfowl hunter to everybody else, but let's just... Sit back as a waterfowl hunter. Okay, this is this is why this isn't working. Let me talk to this guy. Let me talk to that guy and get their opinion on this hunt. Or or watch five or six different people that hunt different and take their ways and put it into one and make yourself a better waterfowl hunter and and hunting different than everybody else. That's the beauty about life and being different. I agree entirely. You, know? you know, I mean, so, look at a duck hunter. I'm not out there to watch the sunrise. If 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 I can go out in the morning in Mississippi and shoot six ducks. I'm not going to stop voluntarily at four. I'm probably going to shoot my six ducks. Right. But on the days I only get three or four, I'm happy. It's only yeah. two or three ducks, but I had a great time with my son. I had a great time That's with right. my friends. You know, and today, if you hadn't told me how many we killed, I knew we weren't at the limit. I wouldn't have asked. I didn't care. We'd had a great time. Oh, absolutely. You know, man, there was so much laughter and chatter and banter going on and cutting up. Uh, I've always said real life happens between the volleys. You know, and and and, I, and kind of this mindset we're talking about is just it takes this whole three days here in Alberta and liquidates it right down just to the instances we were physically pulling the trigger, and that's not what it's about. No, it's not. It's not. You've got to, you know, take time to spend time with your family. Go out, learn, learn the tr- tradition. Don't get caught up in the numbers. Don't get caught up in the in the. I guess in the. Have fun and enjoy it for what that, it is. That's it. That's you know, it. duck hunting is too special and too good. You know, we've got young, young Johnny Feltovich here, and uh, I remember the truck him telling me yesterday that a lot of hunters in the Atlantic Flyway that he knows are not hunting Canada geese this year because the limit's one. And he's <laughs> like, that's one more that I can get sitting at the office, and I love to do it. Right. I, I like that mindset. Right, I'd I'd still hunt them, but I might use a longbow or something. Well, you know, yeah. just make a little make a little bit more challenging. <laughs> but yeah, you can't. It, it, I often wonder about that. How many people would still do it if you cut your limit in half? You know, that's when you're going to learn the people that do it for the right reasons. You know uh, what I mean? Uh, uh, Scott Baker, a buddy of mine, went to college with. Used to be the state waterfowl biologist, state of Mississippi. And you know, I'm gonna say I can remember about ten years ago. Hunter satisfaction in the state of Mississippi became markedly declined. And I'd say it's back in the chat room days before social media. Mm-hmm. Everybody was really complaining and upset overall. And he and I were just talking over sandwiches one day. And I told him, I said, if you want to make more duck hunters happy, decrease the limit from six to four. <laughs> when you call people up, how'd you do? Ah, we only shot four. Or they say, we shot a limit. That's right. Everybody gets the limit, you're happy. Right. At what point does, at what point does that go away? You know, at what point does I can tell you this? And I don't know if I said it earlier or not, but if you come here and just say using easy numbers and a, and a limit's a hundred, and you leave at eighty, and you're not happy, guess what? I'm not the guy to book with. No, because you're booking for an experience. You're booking right. to come here and get you know at the the lodge atmosphere, the food. And everything else, and, and if you're going out there and you want to say, hey, I shot a limit, guess what? There's times I, I shut the hunt down two, three shots just to be safe. It is all not, about the experience, man. Right, you know, right. it's, it's the good times and the bad. And, and uh, Mike, Mike, uh, shoot, like a buddy of mine said one time, you know, some days are chicken salad and some days chicken shit, but it's all chicken. <laughs> and I like chicken. <laughs> hey, let me ask you a real question. We can wrap this up. What? Right now, we've been shooting 
what I think are local mallards, primarily local hatch mallards, resident Canada geese that are, that are hatched here, raised up here. Uh, maybe a few moat migrators. We're shooting. To, you got some cackers coming in. You've got yeah. some specks coming in. The juvie specks are now coming we in. We just started shooting the Ross's geese. What happens? It, it's middle of September. What happens between now and the end of October? You know, on a on a normal year, uh, just with my experience of being up here, and, and like I said, I haven't been here no ten, fifteen years, but just off what you know, digging into people's minds that's hunted here, and also what I've seen in years past is you know usually on a normal year your early season you're shooting local you're shooting local ducks mallards and pintails and uh local honkers and you know the first front line you like the mature specs that are coming through that's usually what you shoot and then about as the end of september comes on your honkers start are really pulling out and at the end of september you start seeing your snow geese and your lessers come in uh in the whole time from the beginning till about october 15th you're shooting specs 15th to the 20th of September is when you start shooting your chickens, which, you know, young, young speckle bellies. And you're, you know, you'll start shooting less, you know, mature specks. That'll go from the beginning of September, the specks, all the way up to about the 15th. We'll shoot them to up until October 25th ish, but it's, it gets tough on the specks. You never know. It's, it's one of those deals you wake up one day and it's, you got 10 feeds in your back pocket. You wake up the next day and you're scratching your head, you know, wondering if it was just a dream. And, um, so that's kind of the, the the raw ski snows move in late September, and by the by the end of October when I leave, there's still some birds here, but it's it, you're playing with fire then, you know, with birds leaving. So, yeah. um, I will say this out of everything, if I can say one thing to to help anybody, often we get caught up, Ramsey, and you know, you go out, say there's four of us, shoot five birds, ten birds, see it was a bad hunt. Always remember no hunt's a bad hunt. Because no. when you first started, you went out and you shot four or five birds or six birds. Maybe you, maybe you went with somebody that knew what they were doing. And I, I wasn't as fortunate enough on the waterfowl side. I had to teach myself. And saying that is is however you got into it, the tradition or family or whatever, just know that every hunt, take the best out of everything. If you shoot five or you shoot a 100, just know that there isn't one hunt that's a bad hunt. You can right. t- look at, look at the bright side, and and I and I get frustrated. You know, you saw it this morning, and I get frustrated a little bit. But it's one of those deals. It's more or less just trying to figure them out. I'm not frustrated with the, actually hunting. It's just trying to figure it out and and, and get it fine tuned. But just don't lose sight of why we do it. No, I, I I told you today at lunch, and uh, I don't remember if I said it on the podcast, but um, I go into every hunt now knowing. It's not certainly not my first hunt. Probably not going to be my best hunt. Probably not going to be my worst hunt. Uh, and pray, you know, God willing, it ain't going to be my last hunt. That's right. That, that's really that, that's just it in a nutshell for me. But hey, Brendan, thank you very much. Yes, and I'd like to thank anybody that's listening uh, to us talk about ducks. We we keep up with all these uh, travel stories uh, on our Instagram page at Ramsey Russell Get Ducks. We got a lot of nice pictures and clips right now from hunting up here with Brennan. Uh, Thank y'all and see you next time. Another great sit-down interview with Ramsey Russell worldwide with Brennan Hudson today. A lot of good information there about specs and waterfowling turning into a number sport. Ramsey, thank you for getting these while you're out and about. They're all really, really good. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com.